I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, purely and simply evil. You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. <laughs> what do we do? Hello out there and welcome back to Precinct 13, a podcast about the movies, music, and mind of John Carpenter. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Oliphant. Chris, the Halloween season is upon us once again. Indeed it is, Nick, and I am very glad to be here. I am too. We always seem to have fun. This is our third Halloween on the show. We've been at it for a while now, so uh, it's always fun to celebrate this way. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the Halloween franchise once again. This year is especially special. What a terrible phrase there. But (laughs) it is because we actually have, as we've been saying for such a long time, a new Halloween movie coming out. Halloween Kills, the long-delayed, long-awaited sequel to 2018's Halloween. And we are talking tonight about 2018's Halloween, directed by... David Gordon Green, written by him and Danny McBride, two people that I was fans of long before they ever got involved with the Halloween franchise. And here they are, taking over, taking the reins from John Carpenter, and we've got a trilogy on our hands now. And finally, we're getting to see the second installment of that, so that'll be our next episode. But first, got to go back to... Uh, I guess we can't really call it the beginning. It's 40 years after the beginning, but we are discussing the Halloween remake from 2018. And joining us once again is a, a recent guest host, Alexandra Wiles. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for coming back. We didn't give you a great remake the last time to talk about. We did Assault in Precinct 13, the uh, 2005 version, a couple weeks ago. So we figured we had to have you back to talk about a a likable and a good remake this time. So that's what we're going to do. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I hadn't seen it since it came out, and I don't know. I I don't think my feelings have necessarily changed, but it's such a great movie to start off this season with. Like, I know you probably have been watching horror movies and doing the sort of October thing for a while now. Mine hasn't really gotten started yet, but this was, I guess I'll call this the unofficial start to my spooky movie season. So as we always do on the show, why don't we talk about what we are watching at the moment, what we're doing to get in the spirit of the season, and then I think we're going to have a lot to talk about with this movie. So uh, once we're done there, then we'll move right over to this one. So uh, I don't care who goes first, but uh, I'm going to go last because I got very little to say. <laughs> um, I guess I'll go first. Yeah, so go we, for um, it. We're doing some shuddering, Nick, believe it or not. <laughs> I um, know. Yeah, there's like so much content at this point that we want to check out, but we have been chipping away at our list and uh, one film we had up there that I don't know if is, is necessarily like, you know, synonymous with like the, the season of Halloween, but uh, it was on Shudder nonetheless. And I guess it's an action horror film. Uh, Nick, have you ever heard of a film called Turkey Shoot? Yes. I always wanted to see that. Yeah. So it's really awesome. And the funny thing is, is that it was That's from one like, of the, uh, what's it like 1980 or so? Uh, 82, I think. Okay. And it's really kind of a 
it was a movie that I, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I added it to our list to watch just because I saw the thumbnail and it looked like super low budget. It's just kind of like this cartoon picture of people, you know, running away in the jungle and they've got like guns and stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is uh, this this should be like just some total cheese stuff, you know. And to my surprise, this movie was really good. Probably, or I shouldn't assume this, but um, Olivia Hussey, are you familiar with Nate? Yep. Nick, I just called you Nate. <laughs> you're, you're Nate tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, she is in this film, and I get—I don't really know what else to say other than the plot is sort of like the government is capturing people and putting them in these quote-unquote re-education camps and then it turns into like a hunger games kind of thing where they let some of them like try to escape and then they hunt them and i just found some of the um some of it was eerily uh, relevant to today's political landscape in a lot of ways and i'm going to go ahead and recommend turkey shoot if you have not seen it interestingly enough chris i i don't know a lot i've never seen it i've always wanted to see it i remember it being in the video store but it's it's uh it has multiple titles there's like multiple versions of it that were released and the one that i remember seeing as a kid and always wanted to check out it's called escape 2000 and i think it's a <laughs> shorter cut of this and my guess would be if it came out around that time it was probably meant to capitalize on escape from new york so there kind of sorta is a carpenter connection there but as far as I know, and I'm not sure, I might be speaking out of school, but I think Turkey Shoot is the uncut version because what I've heard about this film is that it's super brutal and that there was like an X-rated cut and an R-rated. There's like an American cut. I think it's Australian or, or British or it's not, I don't think, a, an American movie. Maybe it's Canadian. I know it's from another country and I know they um, they it's, definitely... It's, it's, it's Australian. It's Australian. Okay, that's what I thought. And um, Yeah. Yeah, so I know there's multiple versions of it out there, and I know when I do eventually see it, I think I do have to watch the uncut version, because why would you ever not watch the uncut version of anything? Oh, man. Like, who wants the, the sanitized, shorter version of, of any movie? Well, I'll, I'll give you some pitches here, Nick. It's, un, it's under 90 minutes, so that's good. The music is awesome. It's totally this, like, of the time, also very similar to some of Carpenter's stuff, uh, very synthy and whatnot. And, uh, dude, there are some kills in this movie that are just money shots. Like, abs <laughs> th th there's got to be at least two or three where, like, we were watching it, and we, we actually rewound it to watch it again because we are like, wow. And uh, I was surprised. Like, like, the acting was pretty good, and there's, like, a there's a random mutant, and, like, there's, like, suspense. <laughs> and it was, like, I, I was, like, very pleasantly surprised uh, when I was done watching this film. All right, so there's a movie. Now I gotta look this up, Chris. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna do it because I think it's worth doing. There's a mm. documentary about the Australian exploitation movie industry, and this movie mm. is very heavily featured in it. That's how I learned a little bit more about it. And I interesting. Just need to know. Uh, it's it's called like it came from Oz or something like that. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah, you should see it because there's tons of movies in there that you're gonna want to see. That's what happened to me with this documentary. We'll have to get we'll have to get the title right, uh, but uh, I would love I would absolutely love to watch that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had no idea, right? Like, I had heard of this movie, but apparently there was a whole, like, late 70s, early 80s, the Australian exploitation movie scene was just booming, and people were making movies over there for very, very little money, you know, in that sort of Carpenter, Assault, and Precinct 13 way, and a lot of them were just sort of crazy, over-the-top. Um, I guess the, like, one of the things about it, and there's another documentary, there's like a companion piece to this documentary that's about making movies in the Philippines at the same time, and it was like the same deal where there was just no rules like as far as stunt people and stuff like that and you could just blow shit up and drive cars into each other and do all kinds of crazy like unsafe things that you couldn't do in america so oh yeah i love uh, any kind of movie industry like that is uh, something i'm a fan of yeah i don't want to go too long on it but when you said that it reminded me there is some stunt work in this movie that was pretty outrageous like there's a scene where his guy's like underneath a car like holding on and his head is so close to the tire that I was just like, no, like, no way would I ever do that. I was know? uncomfortable watching that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it was the best movie. I, I mean, looking back at films from that period, Mad Max, another Australian movie from uh, kind of around that time. And the car stunts in that, I'm like, how did people live? Like, because there's no yeah. CGI at the time and there are many less restrictions. And it's just uh, it's amazing to see that. And yeah, it does make you a little uncomfortable. Like there's a movie I saw it in a red letter media video. I think it was an Australian film where this dude got run over by a motorcycle and you can see the tire go over his head and it's absolutely a real person and it's not a dummy and I'm pretty sure the stuntman lived, but it is an incredible stunt and it's it's quite a moment in the movie. So yeah, I will add that one to my list, absolutely. Alex, what have you seen recently that has made you uncomfortable? Actually, quite the opposite. Uh, maybe that's just me being the weirdo I am, but... Um, I've been really enjoying the new creep show season. It's season three on Shudder right now. Yes. Uh, we just recently watched the newest episode. Um, called the first part of it, Skeletons in the Closet. And um, what I really enjoyed about this episode is that there's major like homage to like the original creep show movie. I'm not going to give away any details or anything of that sort, but it really pays a lot of attention to past horror movies. Um, a lot of the greats touches on that and also touches on the original creep show movie itself and then the second episode is uh similar in a way actually kind of pays a little bit to one of the skits in the first movie uh with leslie nielsen so if you know what i'm talking about then i don't need to give any details but i really really absolutely loved that last episode and have been enjoying every season since it started Awesome. Yeah, actually, that's what I was going to talk about, too. I haven't seen a lot of movies uh, this October yet, but I am catching up. I realized that I missed a lot of Creepshow. I thought I had seen most of them. I knew there was like one or two episodes there that I hadn't seen, but I think it's more like five or six that I hadn't seen. So uh, that's a lot of season two that I'm unfamiliar with. And uh, I actually just started watching um, parts of season one that I had missed. And... I just saw an episode. It wasn't the best written episode, but I really liked it because Dana Gould is in it, the comedian Dana Gould. And yep. it's called mm -hmm. like Skinwalkers or something like that. And it's yep. about a radical weight loss therapy. And the gore in this is so crazy and so over the top, like absolutely sickening, like early Peter Jackson-esque gore. It wasn't what I was expecting. And then it got super gross. And it really, you know, I was kind of falling asleep and it shocked me back into being awake. It was so hilarious. Yeah. Hilariously that was disgusting. a good one. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, it. I, I remember one. that one as well. Yeah, that's uh, unlike what we were discussing on the uh, Masters of Horror series. The Creep Show is one that, like you were saying, Nick. Even some of the episodes that aren't written that well, like I don't know for some reason, I just 
I just give it a I just don't care. Like I really like those creep show shorts on uh on Shutter. Well, I think what helps also is the length, right? I mean, it is they yeah. are shorter it's about half the length of a Masters of Horror episode. Very similar thing. I mean, you've got experienced horror directors working on this. You got Kane B effects group and they really this skin whatever's episode. They really did a lot of work on it. It was very <laughs> obvious. Skin whatever's. I I, I, I want to call it Skinwalkers, but I don't think that's it. I, I don't know. I should have looked it up. I should have been more prepared but uh definitely I, I could i remember some scenes very vividly and it was amazing um the other one in season one that i'm going to watch again it's going to be an annual halloween viewing for me is i believe it's ex- episode three or four it's one of the the halves of those episodes you guys are familiar with that one right the one about the trick-or-treaters oh is yes i'm looking at it right now so is it all hallows eve all hallows eve it's called yes again just to touch on it the name is skin crawlers I skin just crawlers it myself there yes you, go. you were That's close very close like, like a skinwalker <laughs> but it just hasn't learned to get to that stage yet yeah so um... that actually yeah that actually premiered on halloween day uh two years ago which one uh, skin crawlers. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna. All Hallows Eve is such a good. It's like it's great horror stuff anyway. But it's also just one of those things. It's got this great Halloween season atmosphere, and I love when Halloween season movies do that. I mean, I, I think it's sometimes tough to do. Uh, like Carpenter when making the 1978 Halloween had a tough time doing that because he was not filming in a place where they have fall necessarily but I think they faked it really well and I think the atmosphere in that is good and, and we'll talk about how well or how not well the 2018 version does that but I don't know there's just some movies that have this really nice sort of Halloween feel to them and this creep show episode All Hallows Eve is just a, a 20 minute version of that it's just pure distilled like Halloween spirit and I absolutely love it and uh, it's just it's a great story I, I can't wait to watch that one again it's going to be part of my Halloween viewing along with the Tom Hanks David S. Pumpkin skit which is become an annual thing for me and uh, and of course the great pumpkin the uh, the peanuts episode i will really quickly i just looked it up so the movie i was talking about the documentary about australian exploitation films is called not quite hollywood colon the wild untold story of ozploitation with an exclamation point which i absolutely love uh came out in 2008 i think that's when i saw it and it is absolutely fantastic tarantino i think is either in it or he had something to do with the production of it because he's a big fan of all of those movies. Of course, he's a big fan of any sort of niche exploitation cinema from around the world. So um, I think he was uh, pretty instrumental in getting it made. And as a neat little segue here, I see that Jamie Lee Curtis is an interview subject in it. So there you go. There's <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about exploitation. Okay. <laughs> So that is going to be our bridge and talking about uh, Halloween 2018. Uh, before we do that, anything else? Any other recommendations for, I, mean, I guess we should probably spend a little time on that. It is, uh, we are getting into the spirit of the season. Um, what else? Um, man, well, I, I know I mentioned this last time. Um, I, we, we had an experience that kind of sucked. We went to go to the theaters to see Malignant again and, we were looking at at the listing for the theater in Jacksonville and not the one in St. Augustine and they already pulled it and we were totally bummed out. So we ended up like just watching a couple other random movies on shutter and Nick, I remember, I think we covered this on talking movies. Do you remember watching a film called housebound? Yes. I love that movie. Really good. Holds up. From uh, I Zealand. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> I watched, loved it. Yeah. We watched that just the other night. Um, 
And I got to say, man, like I just the whole the, the movie itself is like at, I, I noticed something in the character arc this time. I didn't the first time because I kind of wasn't a big fan of the lead actress in the movie. But um, she really goes from being like super annoying and unlikable to being like the total hero in that movie. And I just noticed that a little bit more this time around. But I also noticed how funny it was. Yes. Like. The movie was like, like I remember at one point Alex was like, she like leaned over to me. We're like a half hour in, and she's like, "Is this supposed to be funny?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Well, sometimes you're not is. sure, you know." Yeah. And I just like, "Okay, this is supposed to be funny, right?" I'm I'm laughing for a reason. Okay, that's good. A, that's a good. That's a good <laughs> October movie right there, Housebound. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And I, I think it really. I love horror comedies, but I think there is sometimes like a balancing issue. Like sometimes they lean a little too far in one direction, and they don't work as either. And I think Housebound is is one of the really really good ones that does successfully make you laugh and does have good scary moments in it and yeah I, I should probably see that again I don't think I've seen that one since it came out but I do remember talking about it on the other show and I remember really really liking it I love the poster too if you've seen that with the uh, yes the ghost the the sheep ghost well and yeah. Chris was also saying it like also touches on uh, people under the stairs that film mm. and it definitely covers that but right. I was getting more the boy vibes I don't know if you've ever seen that about the doll and well, a man who's living in the walls in a house. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that one kind of reminded me of that a little bit. But I definitely enjoyed that movie. It's it's worth a watch. I enjoy a good horror comedy, and that's again going back to Creepshow. I think that's one of the things that that show nails really well because anytime you have like laughs and scares, and they both actually work. I mean, that's tough to do. It's hard to do either one of those as a, a writer, a filmmaker, an actor, and I don't know some of these things like Housebound, Shaun of the Dead is a great example of that. Also, mm. I mean, it's it's not quite. I guess it's a little bit more comedy than horror, but there's some great Romero-esque zombie moments in that that work really well just uh, on those terms so yeah uh, i mean e evil dead 2 evil I mean, dead come 2 on, sure. people gotta watch evil dead 2 like all the time so uh should we get to it then i'm, I'm ready let's go to haddonfield yeah. back to haddonfield <laughs> as michael myers always seems to end up by the way just before we even get into the discussion i saw I don't know, it was a comment on some website or something the other day, and they were talking about how Michael Myers should never be transferred. Like, he always seems to find a way to get out on, on like, either the day before Halloween or something like that. Like, why don't they just keep a really good eye on him through the holiday and then maybe move him during Thanksgiving season or something? Because... Move him on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Because then we wouldn't have this spectacular franchise uh, to talk about. I, I know, point. that's true. Well, I mean, if he's orchestrating mm -hmm. it, whatever. If you release him on Valentine's Day, though, then the uh, the killer from My Bloody Valentine, like, that's his time. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Myers like, all right, I don't want to step on toes here. I'll wait until you're done. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I get, yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael could totally take him. I think so. Dude, what's he got, a pickaxe? Oh, yeah. Forget about it. Yeah, Bye. he's got a pickaxe, but <laughs> Michael's, I mean... It's, it's Michael. Well, Michael <laughs> Myers figure it out. can improvise. He's like Jackie Chan. He'll use whatever is at hand, uh, particularly in this remake, which we're going to talk about, I promise. Um, but yeah, <laughs> some of these other killers, like, I don't know, they're just, uh, they're not creative enough. You know, they don't know how to how to mm -hmm. just sort of go with the flow and, and, and use whatever you have access to. Anyway, we will be right back to talk about Halloween 2018. I just waited for this night. He's waiting for me. 
I waited for him. Get out! Go home! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. All right, we are back, ready to talk about David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018. It's so interesting talking about this movie because it is a sequel, but it's also a reboot. In some ways, it's also a remake of the original Halloween. And this was, I mean, just to talk about this film in terms of where it shows up in the Halloween franchise, I think is interesting also. Because if you go online, there's lots of people that have broken this down. I'm sure we could do it, Chris. Uh, like, we've talked about these movies so much. And you've seen, I think, all of them. I've seen the vast majority of them. I've never seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and I've never seen six, part six of, of the original franchise, but for the most part I kind of know how things work, and there are, I think, four separate timelines now where, you know, they all sort of take off from the original movie in some way, but they've all, like, retconned things or they've completely rebooted things, and so this is a, a new start of the franchise, which has already kind of gotten restarted a number of times, um, with 4 was a, a sort of restart in a way, and then you had Halloween yeah. H2O, and then you had the zombie movies, and now you have this trilogy, so it's uh, it's a very convoluted uh, family tree that Halloween has, I guess you could call it. I think I think I can do this one, Nick. Um, Go for it. So yeah. So as far as Halloween timelines are concerned, um, Halloween 2018 only recognizes the events of the original movie, and it is the only Halloween movie that erect that only recognizes the events of that film. Halloween three is its own thing, <laughs> yes, so that it is. just stays on its own. <laughs> I would consider both Rob Zombies to be their own thing as well. So at that point, the only ones you have to dissect are, I mean, four, five, and six are basically a trilogy, but four, but four, five, and six recognize the events of part one and two. So the only ones that four, five, and the only one four, five, and six ignores is part three. H2O is different because H2O doesn't recognize the events of four, five, and six, but does recognize the events of one and two. Sorry, I'm sure that was really boring to hear. No, no, no. I, show, it, like, the, but... And I, everything you've said so far, I think is correct. And then Resurrection, which I don't really want to talk much about, but that that is a direct sequel to, to H2O, H2O, right? Where yeah. Laurie Strode, for some reason, dies at the yeah. very beginning of that because she didn't want to be in the movie. And then you yeah, got so... Buster Rhymes kung fu kicking Michael Myers in the face. Yeah, so in in a weird way, Resurrection is is a part four because yes. it's like in that in that particular timeline. But that's uh, one thing that I'll say that I really like about 2018 off the bat is that it just scraps the whole slate clean and says the events of John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978 occurred, and then here we are 40 years later. Yes, which is a, kind of an interesting thing to do. And what I was going to say is this wasn't the original idea for continuing the franchise. So Rob Zombie does his two in, in the mid-2000s, and then I was just kind of reading on, on some of the, the backstory of this film, and basically what happened was there were a number of scripts that were decided on for a third installment in Rob Zombie's. The one, mm -hmm. I don't think he was going to be involved anymore, but they were going to continue continue his franchise they were going to bring back uh the the actor who plays michael myers in that 
And I guess, I mean, it doesn't sound like there was any reason not to do it except for timing and rights issues and things like that. Sounds like the studio had a script that they liked and they had filmmakers signed up and they were ready to go like they had a plan, supposedly. I mean, of course, they're going to say the script was good, but everything I've read said whatever Halloween 3, the new Halloween 3 was going to be, was a pretty good idea. I believe they were talking about doing it in 3D. This would have come out like kind of right at the tail end of that 3D resurgence we had around like Avatar and all that stuff so when every movie was coming out in 3D they did a My Bloody Valentine a lot of talk about My Bloody Valentine tonight which is uh, (laughs) kind of a forgotten movie But basically, you have all of these ideas kicking around, and that was going to be what was going to happen with that franchise. And instead, the the rights expired. They just didn't have time to do it. Like, these projects didn't come together. And I think this was a real... I mean, who knows what that movie would have been. Maybe it would have been awesome. Maybe it would have really, you know... kicked the franchise in the pants after the Rob Zombie movies, which, you know, were were divisive. I liked the first one. And um, Chris, you're a fan of both of those, right? I am, yes, but I just have a lot to say about them. So it's like, I, they're obviously the most polarizing in the franchise. I'm not one of those people that's like, Rob Zombie ruined the franchise. Right, it ruined my childhood. Like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, don't, I don't see that at all, but I do kind of see them in their own realm. Yeah, right, and, and I mean, if you're going to do a direct sequel to those, like, Rob Zombie's big innovation to this franchise, the thing that he did differently than anyone else is to give Michael Myers like a a backstory that he had never had before. And basically that first Halloween movie that he made is how Michael Myers got to be Michael Myers. And that is, I mean, it's, it's a way to go. And also the other thing is just the Rob Zombie style. So the kills, the camera work, the style, all of that stuff is, is much more Rob Zombie than it is John Carpenter. So it really is a reinvention of the franchise through the lens of Rob Zombie, but any sequel to that, if you were going to continue whether he was involved or not, you'd have to take into account all the details about Michael Myers that accumulated over the course of those two movies. So who knows what that would have been, but because Hollywood business is what it is, all of a sudden Halloween becomes kind of a, a free agent again, right? Like this franchise is open for discussion and studios can kind of bid on it and writers and directors can pitch ideas. And what's cool about 2018 is John Carpenter, a guy who generally keeps a a hands-off sort of approach to remakes and kind of likes to allow his films to just exist as they are and and doesn't really, you know, he'll take an executive producer credit. He'll show up to set, like he says, I don't remember exactly the quote. We've talked about it on the show before, but it's like, I'll show up, say hi to everybody and then leave. And uh, what he doesn't say is I'll leave in my Rolls Royce and, uh, you know, go hang out on my yacht or whatever. Great job, guys. Keep up the good work. (laughs) Because he does get paid really well for these things. (laughs) But this time, he basically wanted to take a little bit more interest and have a little bit more involvement. I would credit Jason Blum, the producer, uh, with that. I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen, Blumhouse, of course, being like this niche boutique horror movie production house where they basically make nothing but horror, I guess, right? I mean, I know there's been, I've seen a couple of Blumhouse westerns and things like that. Uh, Ty West had a western that he made for Blumhouse, but I think that's just because him and Jason Blum are friends, and Jason Blum was like, whatever, you can have a million dollars to go make this movie. 
But basically, Blumhouse became this major, major force in Hollywood horror uh, in the, the 2000s era. And so he was kind of in this perfect position to not only restart, reignite this franchise, but also to kind of have a dialogue with John Carpenter and bring him back into the fold as something more than an executive producer. So Carpenter gets to have not only the obvious credit of uh, based on characters created by, but he also gets the executive producer credit. He's also doing the music for this with Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies, his Lost Themes team and his anthology team, you know, the the band that he's gotten together with his son and his godson to do music. And he also had some creative input on this. So he was the one who actually approved, who ended up being the writer and director of this. So the director is David Gordon Green. The writer, again, is... Uh, well, Danny McBride is the one that we're familiar with. So Green, McBride, and someone named Jeff Fradley are credited on the screenplay. They are all, they get the ampersand, so they must have all worked on it together. But what I think is really interesting about that particular pairing, uh, Green and Danny McBride, is that neither one of them had ever done horror before. So you're talking about two guys who just really, really liked this franchise, were really into Halloween, already had these very accomplished careers. Uh, David Gordon Green starts out as kind of an indie Terrence Malick-like filmmaker. I've seen a lot of his early work. It's very slow-paced. It's very dramatic. You know, they're, they're art films, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Uh, he starts out in 2000 with a film called George Washington, which I really need to see. Uh, he does all the Real Girls a little bit after that, which was a pretty popular indie movie. Undertow, which is a great, great movie. Again, a, a low-budget indie drama. Um, then David Gordon Green kind of makes this shift into comedy. So The Pineapple Express is his movie, and like The Sitter with Jonah Hill. And then he starts doing uh, Your Highness, I believe is his. Do you remember Your Highness? Yes, I do. <laughs> I've tried to watch that movie. That movie should be so up my alley. It's a medieval stoner comedy, and I have tried to watch it so many times, and every time I started, I'm like, this movie's not good. <laughs> But um, kind of an interesting career progression he has. And then Danny McBride, of course, is known for the HBO series he's done and the movies that he's done. And they're all mostly comedies. Uh, Eastbound and Down, huge, huge fan of that HBO show. And uh, Vice Principals with Walton Goggins. He was in the Righteous Gemstones, which I can't wait for season two of that. So these are basically, you know, uh, Gordon Green is like an art film slash comedy guy. Danny McBride is a comedy guy. But they bring this pitch to John Carpenter that basically says we want to be as faithful as we can to your original movie we're going to throw out everything as we've said after the first movie and this is our idea we're going to do it very respectfully and we're going to make like a true sequel to halloween and so that's what 2018 is it's like if none of those other films had ever happened uh, and this franchise was dormant for 40 years well here is like the grand return of laurie strode and michael myers in a film that very very obviously pays homage very very respectful i would say in some cases maybe a little bit too respectful homage to the original so that's kind of the backstory there. I feel like I've been talking forever, so I'm going to shut up for a while. What do you guys think of this movie? <laughs> um, uh, well, is it I, Halloween yet? I feel like we just did the whole month right there. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's trick-or-treaters at my door. I got to go answer that. I mean, I remember seeing this in theaters and I was super excited about it because everything that I had read about it was that it was going to be like a serious return to the series. And I mean, I saw it at theaters and... I've been a fan of this movie from the start. Um, I've seen 
you know some some mixed reviews but i think i think halloween 2018 got uh generally positive reviews overall and was uh, a huge success in the box office i mean this movie pulled in uh over $250 million worldwide. Yeah, one of the highest grossing R-rated horror movies ever. Yep. And uh, as, a, as a fan of the franchise, there's just so many things I love about this. I mean, I could go down the list of, like, you know, the way the mask looks. It's like they finally got the mask right again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the opening credits scene with the music and the, the pumpkin and the lettering and all that. I think there's um, just a lot of things that... We're so, we're so frustrating along the way with the other Halloween movies where you'd be like, why does his mask look like complete shit? Like, why is the beginning of this movie not feel like a Halloween movie? Uh, why is the music not as good? And then also, who's playing Michael Myers? You know, like in this movie, we get Nick Castle, which is pretty cool. And um, I, obviously, it's it's I don't think it's a very easy feat to kind of make a sequel to such a classic but i think overall they did a pretty good job considering so much time has passed i could go on and on here help me organize my thoughts <laughs> uh but no overall i mean i'm a i'm a giant fan of this mo- movie so much so that uh i mean i've probably seen this i don't know maybe eight or nine Ten times at this point, and for me, every time I watch it, it gets better. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. There are some things that I that I could critique, but in my personal opinion, if we're making a Halloween franchise ranker, uh, no movie except the original is as is better than this movie, like by far. I don't want to call that a hot take, but well, I, I guess that's probably not a hot take. Maybe my thoughts about this are a hot take. Um, if we're going to lay our cards on the table, I will say I like this movie. I think it's more my my overall feelings about it are more positive than negative, but I have a lot of issues with it also. And I thought I, I saw it when it came out. I saw it in the theater, which is a, a fun experience just because I had never seen a Halloween. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I had seen uh, H2O in the theater back in the day, but I wasn't a fan of the franchise <laughs> back then. Now I'm a fan, so I was like all fired up for this one and uh now i saw it again for the show this time and i will say i mean i I don't think it got necessarily better i think the same things i disliked about it the first time i still dislike and the same things i really liked about it the first time uh still sort of held up and i thought were really good um but my feelings are sort of mixed alex where do you stand on 2018 halloween I have to be honest with you. Um, I never watched this when it came out in theaters, so I missed out on that. I have absolutely no excuse for that one. But I did come around to watching it a couple of years ago and for the first time. And I don't really remember caring for it all that much. Um, I don't even believe I finished it. Once again, not really sure where my feelings were at at that particular moment, but I just remember getting most of the way through and just being more, eh, like, it's all right. It's it's good. It's, you know, it's just not the original for me. So um, I did come around and watch it again the second time with Chris and several times since then. And each time that I watch it now, um, it's, you know, it gets a little bit better for me. Uh, I do really enjoy the movie itself. For me, probably the best part of it is the brutality of it all. Michael really steps up his game with that one. And like Chris was mentioning earlier, the mask is incredible in this movie. They finally fixed it after I don't even know how many movies. I feel like that started going downhill in the fourth one. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Have yeah. you actually looked at how bad? <laughs> it's like the simplest thing. And so many Halloween movies, they just never got the mask right, like the way it looked in one and two. 
And then in this movie, it just looks fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was also the the thing between, I believe it was between one and two, where the mask was getting like all ratty. It was like in Nick Castle's pocket, that apocryphal story about how he was keeping it in his back pocket and it got kind of folded up and creased. And then I think it was under Deborah Hill's bed for a while, like in a box. And so it got kind of ratty between those movies. Um, or maybe that was between one and two and five. I don't know. I, I remember we talked about it on the show. I thought that was kind of a fun story. But yeah, I mean, the production design of this, I think is really, really good because it does nail the look of Michael Myers. It does nail the mask really well. Interestingly enough, I was just reading an interview with David Gordon Green today uh, in anticipation of Halloween Kills. He's directing this whole trilogy, by the way. So uh, this this new director, he's taking, I mean, he's going to end up having made more Halloween movies than Carpenter has, which is pretty interesting. Um, but basically he was talking about how hard it is to light a scene with the Michael Myers mask in it to sort of set things up so that Michael Myers looks as scary as he's supposed to. And I don't know that I had ever really thought of that before. Right. I mean, because the original movie is so, so good and because he's so scary and so imposing, I mean, Carpenter establishes all these things, right? Like the, the thing that I think is, is really well known and really fascinating about him is that he never runs, right? This is a, a killer, a movie heavy who only walks after you and he's just so scary and he's so powerful that he's going to catch up to you either way and that sort of adds to his menace uh, because him running would look really silly and I think Green is sort of talking about that right like if you film him in the wrong way if you sort of light the scene the wrong way then it, it looks just like a person in a Halloween costume or something like that not Halloween the movie but just sort of a, a generic Halloween costume whereas here um, you know he He's, he's terrifying, and he's supposed to be terrifying, and the mask is terrifying. There's a shot, we'll talk about it later on, but there's one shot, it's a not quite a close-up, but the focus of the shot is the face, the face of Michael Myers, the mask, the eyes behind it, and it's phenomenal. It's probably my favorite, it's one of my favorite shots in the movie, because there's another one that I definitely want to talk about. But yeah, I think they really nail that here, and then the cinematography, if we just want to, I mean, maybe let's start with what is great about Halloween 2018, um, and for me, number one, is the cinematography so uh this was shot by a guy named michael simmons and this was shot digitally obviously much unlike carpenter's original but i think this captures the style of camera work from carpenter's original absolutely perfectly um just looking at michael simmons he actually worked on some of those shows it's either simmons or simons i don't know um but he was the dp on the righteous gemstones and on vice principal so those two danny mcbride series so we know where those guys met uh, also shot Paranormal Activity 2, which is kind of an easy job to do because most of the cameras are just static in the Paranormal <laughs> Activity movies, right? <laughs> like you could just set it up and leave for the day. Um, but anyway... I think his camera work here is absolutely brilliant. It's got the steady cam shots that were done so perfectly by Dean Cundey in the original. And just the look of this is outstanding. The lighting is great. There's great sort of, um, you know, just, just use of colored lighting and use of shadow and things like that. And you really want that out of a Halloween movie. I will say uh, Halloween 2 does that really well also. The original, I mean, this is in some sense, it's Halloween 2, right? So this is one of two movies that directly uh, picks up the Laurie Strode story. This one 40 years later, whereas Halloween 2 is like seconds later. But that's a great looking movie. And I think this is a really, really great looking movie. And I love everything they do here. The cinematography is fantastic. The look of uh, Laurie's, she 
I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the story a little bit, but the her lair, her hideout in the woods, uh, it looks fantastic. Michael Myers is lit perfectly. There's some great camera work, even just from the beginning, right? So the opening scene where these two podcasters make the very stupid decision to go visit Michael Myers in the hospital for the criminally insane or whatever that he's in. And they're in this like prison yard with like a pattern on the floor. And there's these great zoom in like high angle shots that are just phenomenal there. So I think the look of this movie is absolutely outstanding. It's my favorite thing about it is definitely the cinematography. I'm not going to argue with that. I think the production value here speaks for itself. And by the way, yeah, those first two movies are great. Uh, even the third one, but I mean, we had Dean Cundy shooting those. So, I mean, that's, that is what it is. Um, and I think now would probably be a pretty good time to mention if we're talking more about just those kind of characteristics of the movie. I think the score in this one is definitely almost as good as the original, if not better. Like they, they reworked, um, some of the music and modernized it a little bit, but then some other stuff they just came up with like from scratch. That's just really fitting. So yeah, I think the, the, the combination of how great this movie looks and how great it sounds and the effectiveness of the music is pretty awesome yeah it's a really beefed up score from the original but it also still sounds exactly like john carpenter right so it's you know he's got a bigger budget to work with he's got a band to work with this time he's not just sort of doing it all by himself but it all sounds great it's really intense at points um we're talking about one of the tracks from halloween kills a couple weeks back and and just how overpoweringly intense that is and you get a lot of that in this movie too this really just sort of you know hammering on these chords during these scary scenes and i think the music is really good too i also like michael myers um smashing dr sartain's head like a watermelon with his foot (laughs) well (laughs) alex you were talking about the brutality of this movie was that what you were referring to or or one of the things one of that is pretty actually yeah uh i mean it starts right off with him sprinkling teeth over a bathroom door so that was pretty intense um I have to say what I really liked about this movie myself was, yeah, like I said before, the brutality and what Chris just touched on. The music's outstanding. The score for this movie I could listen to over and over again, especially that one note. Um, <laughs> it's a good note. But Oh, yeah, it's terrifying. And it's, yeah, it's like the foghorn, you know, like obviously a lot cooler. But uh, also, I really loved the cast that they got for this movie every single care this is the first time i've actually liked every single character well minus allison's boyfriend for obvious reasons but he had a minor role anyway but every single character i liked i thought they all did a great job uh my particular favorites are actually well the comedic relief but that comes as no surprise for me yeah the father is really (laughs) funny in this movie like at the Oh, yeah. Toby Russ. Huss. Sorry. Excuse me. Toby Huss. Do you guys remember? (laughs) I I mean, I think we're all around the same age. Do you remember the adventures of Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon back in the day? Oh, I will never forget him. So uh, he was Artie, the strongest man in the world on that show. And I will always know him as that. And seeing him in this movie made me so happy the first time and, and the next time, too. But yeah, he's a great addition. I mean, you've got these... People that you wouldn't expect to see in a Halloween movie. Judy Greer is another one who, amazing comedic actress. I loved her on Arrested Development. Uh, I quote her character from Arrested Development all the time. She's fantastic in this. Will Patton, the great Will Patton, amazing character actor. Yes. Chris, you'll remember him from The Postman, one of our favorite movies from the talking movies days. (laughs) 
I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have never seen that movie before. You've blocked it out, have you? Well, I love Will Patton anyway. He's been in lots of other things. Yeah, so it's uh, a great cast. I actually agree with that. I mean, I do think most of the characters are likable. I can't stand the podcasters. Uh, they don't last very long, but I don't know. They kind of annoyed me. They're these two British I... true true crime podcasters. And you would think me uh, doing this show and being a podcaster myself, I'd be sympathetic to them. But I hated them and I couldn't wait for them to die. And they do well, I like their characters because they accepted their death really well. Just <laughs> happened. Like, like if I could just just interject there for a second, like I don't like their characters either. I mean, they seem pretty, you know, self motivated and whatnot, and and I think of they course. care they care less about Lori's feelings than they do about making their show. But that's what's so great about this. Like they set the movie up with these two characters that establishes where Lori is in her life. Like. That, that's an element that we can't, you know, ignore is that she's become this paranoid survivalist. Yes. And I mean, just like getting to her house, <laughs> you know, the, I love that whole interaction that they have just to negotiate getting into the house. And then, yeah, like, you know, they meet the new Loomis and she doesn't really give them that much information. But these two characters are dispensed of first, like they're dead within 25 minutes of the movie yeah which and the, some great and, and, judgment on the part of michael myers so nicely done yeah and and that whole sequence is fucking awesome dude like because it reminded me of like parts of part two and part four and even the original like when you know we see a lot of bodies that are in this gas station where we never see michael kill these people right but we see we see the bodies there and then you know the scene of him like you have to watch very carefully but when the guy's pumping gas you can see him walking in the background very slowly and he, and after as after he dispenses of the podcasters we'll call them you know he uh when he pulls the mask out of the trunk uh dude that shot is so classic bro well, while like, you're touching I, on pulling the mask out when yeah. they did that in the middle of the psychiatric facility this is actually where we get a different michael at first it's played by a different actor james jude courtney uh when he turns his head slightly to the left and you see him and he's like you can feel it can't you just like that energy booming off and yeah and then we get nick castle for the rest of it obviously but Every time the mask comes around, just an energy is added to the film. Yeah, both of those moments are great, particularly when he pulls it out of the trunk of the car. And and it's set up. I mean, it's so obviously set up, right? They just they're throwing some stuff, like some files in the trunk, and oh, there's the Michael Myers mask Dude. right there. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to say pull it out of there. Um can I can I run a theory by you guys? Cause I don't know. I'm I'm I was kind of thinking this a lot seeing this movie this time. And I think this movie is incredibly meta in every way. I think it's it's meta in more ways than it should be. But to me, these two podcasters, I was thinking about them a lot. And they are almost like... Like they're standing in for a certain type of fan of this franchise, right? Where they're trying to find out, like they want to know what makes Michael Myers tick, and they're being really annoying about it. So you know, they're they're harassing Laurie Strode. I mean, they they pay her for the interview and everything, but they ask her some really uncomfortable questions. This dude goes up to Michael Myers and pulls out the mask and is like, "Can you feel it?" I and mean, that's a really tense moment early on in the film. And I don't know. It's like the 
like what I love about Michael Myers as a character and what I love about John Carpenter's vision for Michael Myers particularly is that he's unknowable and you can't ask those kinds of questions and and like you're kind of not right to do that right it's like questioning God and the devil or something like that so it's almost like they are put there like we think they're going to be the protagonists of this movie almost like if you didn't know any better they seem to be you know they're young and attractive and they're sort of active protagonists in that they're investigating the mystery of Michael Myers and the fact that they're killed off so quickly um, you know it's almost like a, a psycho type thing right where it's sort of a fake out as to who this movie is actually about in some ways well, he, I mean not exactly yeah and I think Michael only goes after them because he's drawn to the mask right and like after because after that, I mean, it, it gets back into the rules of the original movie, which is he just kills at random. Like, there's no... I love that. It's And that was one of the big, I think, kind of problematic things with the story in the original part, too, was this whole thing that, oh, he's been coming after Laurie the whole time because she was his sister. Yes. You know, it's like that. So I love how this movie just basically kiboshes that whole idea well, it dif- it dispenses with all of those ideas, and it dispenses with these two characters who, to me, kind of represent those <laughs> ideas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and and when, like, w- there's one... I, I know we're kind of go- going all over the place here, but who cares? Like, I, I knew this podcast was going to go this way just because there's so much to say about this. We could just kind of, like... We're, we're still under the category of, like, things that we love about this movie. Yeah. God, dude, there is that shot where it's just a... Uh, um. Uh, uh, one take Nick I'm sorry I'm forgetting the technical term for it what's the take when it's just all all in one shot a long take it's not a long take there's another name for it you mean the the steady cam shot I'm telling you Nick because I know more about technical film terms than you. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'll, I'll, I'll try to think of it um it, it's not coming to me right now but the scene where he basically first gets out and he's on the street and you know walks into the one person's house grabs the knife, you know, kills them, walks back out on the street, just standing there. It's a a long take. It's an unbroken long take. It's the greatest shot in the movie. It's amazing. It is is so good that every time I watch it, I'm just like... I, I, I want to stand up and applaud because yep. that's that's what the Halloween movies are about, right? And like when you can see him in the background, like the woman comes up to look out her front window and dude, he's just there and like, you know, and he approaches her and, and just, I mean, the way he kills her, like stabbing her through the throat like that and just, but it's so quick and uh, I don't know, I just love that. That whole scene is probably, I don't know, five or six minutes maybe like of just, one long take it's 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 wonderful it's up there and i think it really pays tribute to what dean cundy does i mean he really innovated that in the original movie you know like you associate steady cam with serial killers because of dean cundy's work in the original halloween so of course you had to have a long take like that here and i don't know, like any halloween movie that doesn't do that i feel like is kind of just not not doing what it should like you were saying right you were waiting for a halloween movie to to not be making the mistakes that all the other ones did and and i think that's a thing that you have to have you know that is michael myers like to film him in long takes like that is to just show how relentless he is and how this is just a progression you know one thing from the next like pick up the knife and go here like you know he doesn't stop he just keeps coming so the shot just keeps running and running and running and yeah it's amazing and and the technical challenge of that is off the charts you know i mean 
mean? Yep. To, to do anything that's a steady cam shot with all these moving parts and there's extras and you're sort of going in and out of houses and things like that. Um, what else? I mean, I'll talk about this a little bit more later. The only thing I don't like about that sequence is the payoff. Um, I think the kill is great. You know, the, the knife through the throat. It's uh, It's a nice little visual, but it kind of... Like it's building and building and building and building, and I kind of want something more at the end of it. And I feel like this movie kind of does that a lot. Where um, I, you know, I I don't want to get into my my dislikes quite yet because there's still some stuff I want to talk about that's great, but. I feel like there's a lot of setup and, and the payoffs don't always pay off the way I want them to. And, and, you know, not that I need necessarily more gore or something like that, but I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of scenes build to a, a climax that never really happens. And this is one. It's such a great shot. It's so amazing. And I just want the ending of it to be sort of uh, on, on par with the rest of it. What else is great about Halloween 2018? I have a couple of, of more things myself. I do as well, but Alex, ladies first. After all of that we just talked about, I have to say my absolute favorite part of this movie is just how amazing Laurie Strode has become. She is just, because there's so many different ways to handle what she has been through. Um, she could have become a complete, well, <laughs> she did become a recluse, but it's also training with heavy weaponry the entire time. But what I was going to say is a depressive recluse, like heavily medicated not really sure why she's still hanging around um but she decided to take that and she was like no nope, if i ever see him again this he will not survive so i really really enjoyed that i yeah i mean i think as far as developing that character and like where she would actually be 40 years later i mean it's it's a really really brilliant choice that they make in in writing her that way and uh, i was reading something that that basically Danny McBride and David Gordon Green were like, we are going to write this character so good that Jamie Lee Curtis absolutely <laughs> will not be able to say no, right? Because she's kind of come back for, for other installments in the franchise. I mean, she is she likes the horror community. She's kind of known as a, a scream queen, even though she's done lots of other things. But, you know, does she want to go back to this well? And, and their point was, we are going to be so true to this character and we are going to do something so interesting with her that there's no way she could refuse it. And She's been great. I mean, as far as promoting this and coming out and doing all the I actually press just and... read an article the other day that she <laughs> came in and introduced the movie, came out in like this like badass leather jacket, black T-shirt, and like, you know, her new hairdo and glasses. And she was shooting T-shirts into the yes. crowd. And I was just like, I, why? Why couldn't I be there? <laughs> the, mar the marketing, the marketing for both of these uh, mm -hmm. David Gordon Green movies have been phenomenal. Um, I mean, as, especially as a fan, like I mean, he's gotten me so pumped up to see this. But um, both of them, but uh, yeah, man, Jamie Lee Curtis is so awesome in this movie. She's like the exact opposite of what she is in the original, you know, mm -hmm. which is just the the high school, you know, innocent like. Uh, afraid. I mean, she's she's still very brave in that movie for sure. Well, she but, she becomes but, brave, yes, but but she's yeah, not at the beginning, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like in this movie, another thing that I really enjoy about it is I always like movies where, like, there's the person trying to warn everybody about what's going on, and everyone's mm -hmm. like, "Oh yeah, right," or whatever, <laughs> and then like they totally just have to like eat their shirt. You know, it's like there's a scene where um, those are always good parts. Yeah, you know, when the cops show up at her daughter's house and, and they're like, uh, we need to get the fuck out of here. Um, her like daughter right herself. 
And yeah, and, yeah. And, and let me tell you something. Oh, there, there's that, a great, just a quick dialogue exchange I want to get out there because I think it's so great. So she comes in and, and you know, they're having an argument. So, uh, like, I guess one thing we need to know about Laurie Strode, aside from the fact that she's become this survivalist, I see her as like a Sarah Connor kind of character. Like, And it's yeah. the same progression, right? In the original Terminator, Sarah Connor is, you know, just an average girl, just kind of doing her thing. And, and then she gets involved with this future war. And by the second movie, she's this like, badass like resistance freedom fighter who's real handy with weapons and she's jacked and she's like a total like tough badass who can handle anything and that's kind of what happens to Laurie Strode but what's great about this is is you also see the other side of her life right like psychologically she's destroyed by this trauma that happens to her in the original movie and so yes she's had a family but she's kind of turned her back on them in some sense and they've kind of turned their back on her because she's so laser focused on waiting for Michael Myers to come back. So a lot of my favorite dialogue in this movie and and the things in the script that I think work well are the moments that really play on that. So she comes into uh, so Judy Greer plays her daughter and then she's got a granddaughter in this film and they're both major characters. So uh, Karen is her daughter and then Allison is the granddaughter and and she becomes like she's very much uh, Allison is kind of exactly what Laurie Strode is in the original movie right she's an honor student she's kind of the nice girl at school and is ignorant of all things that you know like Michael Myers and and her family has kind of made a point to not tell her about all this crazy shit that happened in her family history but uh, Laurie comes to visit her daughter and of course it's always very tense and she's arguing with Karen uh, Judy Greer's character she's like I'm trying to prepare you for this horror that's coming after you. And and Karen replies to her, I'm trying to prepare dinner. I loved that. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, they're just so, I mean, I think because of Lori's just um, history, they, I mean, and the way that she brought her daughter up, you know, they, they think she's just totally batshit crazy. Well, it's actually a really good point, Nick, that you just brought up. I never really paid much attention to the fact that she is, the granddaughter Allison is exactly like Laurie Strode in the very first movie. Just exactly what you said. I never really thought about it like that before. Yeah. I mean, I guess she's a little bit more like she actually goes to the dance with her boyfriend and, you know, does a little bit of drinking and stuff. So she's a little bit more of a bad girl than Laurie. Like Laurie is just such an innocent, right? Like she is your quintessential horror movie final girl. And Allison is mostly that they make a point, you know, a big thing, big plot point in this movie is uh, she's getting into the national honor society. Just, just like Laurie was an honor student. And, um, you know, she's, she's a very good student. She's very, smart she's very studious um but she is you know i guess a little bit more transgressive uh laurie smokes a little weed in the original movie i was just about to say that i was like if you know allison's drinking a little bit but laurie did you know toke a little bit that's true she's kind of talked in it is a peer pressure sort of thing that's true but yeah i mean it's a an interesting family dynamic here and, and i think that stuff works really well and then of course not to skip ahead too much we'll get to it but the climax of this movie is grandmother daughter and granddaughter like the this family unit coming together against Michael Myers like these this long line of they all turn out to be very very strong women and that they're kind of
kind of making the final stand against this thing, this this boogeyman from her grandmother's history. And I think that's kind of a fascinating idea. I mean, I, I could definitely see why when you pitch that, you know, when, when Green and McBride pitched this to John Carpenter, he's like, yeah, I, I could definitely see that because, you know, as silly as the Michael Myers, I mean, look, all horror movies are ridiculous in some sense. And, uh, you know, just just the fact that you can throw all kinds of things, you can shoot Michael Myers, you can stab him and he just keeps getting up coming after you. You really have to suspend your disbelief for a lot of things. But I do think uh, and, and going back to what you were saying, Alex, a lot of this has to do with Jamie Lee Curtis as an actress. She's great in this movie. She mm-hmm. really gets across this emotional reality. And we really do see these scars that Laurie Strode has. And I think they're very true to that. And they're very careful with that. And she's not perfect. Um, you know, she does seem like a little bit of a crackpot. And, you know, she's yeah. uh, she's kind of a, a she's a survivalist. And, and we look at people like that, those doomsday prepper kind of people as a little bit crazy. And Lori is a little crazy. And I want to, before we finish this discussion, when we're done later, I do want to talk about maybe where this franchise goes from here. And I think it's only going to get worse for Lori Strode. And I think she's only going to sort of be, be taken apart more and more by and how could you not be right? But we see a little bit of that in this movie, too. And I just want to get to another amazing exchange from this. So uh, so she's talking to like once the murders start happening, once we know that it's Michael Myers, he's escaped and he's wreaking havoc on Halloween again. Will Patton's character, Officer Hawkins, who was, I guess, like they they do a lot of, you know, kind of referencing characters, like very, very minor characters from the original movie. So he was a police officer that was there during Michael Myers' first rampage. And she says to him something like, well, I've been praying for him. I pray for him every night to get released so I can kill him. And he just says to her, that was a dumb thing to pray for. And yes. I, love, I love that line. I love that moment because that's exactly who she is, right? Like she knows, right? If, if Michael Myers gets released, nobody knows better than her what he's going to do. And, you know, she wants to stop it, much like Loomis, right? Like she is the Loomis figure in this movie, but I think she's more driven than Loomis ever was. And, you know, Loomis kind of wanted to understand Michael Myers to some extent. I mean, mostly he just wanted to end the reign of terror, but, you know, he was still a, 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 a doctor. And I'm sure there was still a lot of curiosity there, whereas Laurie's just like, nope, I just want to murder this guy. And rightly so. But you can see the toll it's taken on her. And I think that's what this movie, another thing that it does really well is just that, you know, that that sort of character arc that she has and that she's had between the first movie and, and this one. Michael, <laughs> it's Loomis. God, you know, I, this movie made me miss Loomis so much, right? Today like, was his birthday. Yeah, I was just about to say, this, touching on that, Donald Pleasance. Uh, cheers to uh, Donald Pleasance. Um, the comedy, too. I want to talk about the comedy real quick because we, we were talking before about um, the father who's like got some got some pretty funny lines. He seems, seems like a pretty cool dad. What is the, the name of the kid here? So Oscar? Uh, I oh, think Oscar. He's, got some, he's, <laughs> he's he's kind of uh, he's got some pretty funny lines in this. I love that line where he's where the he's guacamole. talking about how yeah. What is it? He's like all these pretty girls were feeding me guacamole in all these strange ways, and I'm no thinking, all these sexy uh, ways. All these sexy <laughs> ways. Yes, yes. I'm yes. like I'm like that's that's probably written by like Danny McBride. I was you know, 100 like percent like, written written by him. Um, so, so that's that's uh, we get some more co- uh, comedic elements from him. 
And then this little black kid is it Jabrail Natambu? Julian. Julian is my favorite character in the movie. He's so so funny. He's not on screen that much, but like. Child actors are always so annoying to me because they just they come off like child actors. And I guess he does a little bit, but he's got like great comedic timing. Like this kid is going places. And I was just saying to you before the show, I looked him up on IMDb and he is in Halloween Kills. So um, thankfully, he Good. makes it through this one. OK, and, uh, and he'll be in the sequel. And I can't wait to see him again. I hope he survives that one, too. I have to. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the funniest line that came out of that little kid's mouth is when he's talking to his babysitter, Vicky, and he's just sitting on the couch. And he's like, normally my babysitter would be reading me a story or something like that. <laughs> but here I'm just sitting here clipping my nasty ass toes. And I'm just like, this is the best kid ever. Yeah. Like, and, and there, there's, well, there's when, actually... when he sees Michael Myers, he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So the good. look on his face and the timing. He's great. I mean, that's a really talented kid. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, he needs a movie of his own. But there's like, there's like, there's actually a significant amount of comedy in this movie, right? Yes, like, I, would I, I say love that. that scene too, where the two cops are just sitting in their car talking about oh their God. sandwiches. Oh my God, me. Yeah, like that is so funny. He's like, <laughs> I he's got like, you this bon me. I'm not gonna eat that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I pack my own lunch just... and it's like a brownie. <laughs> he's like a five year old would eat that. Like, yeah, like, so like, great. and and all that stuff works for me. I've heard other people's reviews where they kind of critique the movie for going too far with the comedy, and I'm like. No, I see. I, I thought it was strategically placed. Yeah, I think it's. Make a, I think it's peppered yeah. in there very nicely. Yes. I don't think anything. Sometimes when horror movies try to be funny and just fail really bad, I think I don't think they went too overboard with it here. I think it was. And and they're funny writers. I mean, they've worked together on yeah. a lot of comedic projects. I, again, the HBO series alone. Um, there's. I mean, they're all like Eastbound and Down and and uh, Vice Principals. They're all. Not exactly comedy dramas, but they're serious. They take their characters seriously, and the comedy just sort of comes out of the character stuff. And so I think that's how this works also. And it's not overpowering. Like, I was reading an interview with Danny McBride about this, and he said, you know, I guess there was a perception that, like, well, they're going to come out and make a joke out of all of this. And he's like, there's maybe one actual joke on the page. And everything else was, you know, us just kind of playing it seriously and taking it seriously. And, yeah, I mean, the, the comedy in the movie that is there... It feels very character driven and it doesn't feel like overly written. You know, it doesn't feel too over the top like that. That conversation about the Bon Me is probably, you know, the most movie like dialogue in the movie. But it's not that bad. And again, it's it's a pretty scary movie or it's intended to be a pretty scary movie. It's really dark subject matter. We're talking about PTSD and this broken family and this serial killer who's, you know, like supernaturally powerful. So, yeah, a little comic relief, I think, is uh, is nice to have when this could also be just the darkest thing ever. And like the comedy in the Rob Zombie version of this is so, I don't know, like it's it's so like icky at points that i don't find it very funny so um, yeah it's yeah. uh I, I was i was gonna mention too the uh before i forget the uh halloween three silver shamrock easter egg in this movie yes oh, a, i loved it see it's the little things nick it's the little things <laughs> it's like uh, that's the kind of shit that i'm just like oh man like, all right so uh, maybe that's a good segue also because let me tell you my least favorite thing about this movie hit me well, all right. So uh, one thing is, I don't think it's. Uh, 
I don't want to say it's not well directed, but like I don't think it has the sort of fluidity and the the ability to build sequences the way John Carpenter does. And nothing is particularly scary to me in this movie. And I think that's a a major major hit. This is supposed to be and and Carpenter himself said like we want to make this franchise scary again. And I think they fell a little bit short there. There's some good moments. There's some good suspense. There's some good scenes. But in terms of like sustained scary uh, sequences. There's nothing that comes close to the original movie in this. So that's my major complaint. My other major complaint is I think some of the meta stuff and the homages and the tributes to the whole franchise, I think they're way, way, way overdone. And I think very often this movie kind of winks at its audience and it doesn't need to. And because the Laurie Strode material is so strong and because Michael Myers is just such a great villain on his own, I don't think we need any of that. So good example of it is in the beginning where there's this shot that's a a very very clear homage to Carpenter where the three kids are walking down the street right so Allison and her two friends it's Halloween and they're just walking down the street it's a tracking shot just like the ones in the original movie with young Jamie Lee Curtis and PJ Souls and, and the rest of them tracking shot that's what I was trying to think of before okay yeah so uh <laughs> So that is a thing they do a lot here. And, you know, it looks very much like the original movie. And they're talking about it's um, I can't remember which character it was. It's the guy that they're with in this scene. And he basically um, there's a reference to the the thing where Michael Myers is Laurie Strode's brother. Right. Like that revelation from the second movie. And I think they, they're with Dave, Vicky's boyfriend. Dave, that's who it is. Yes. OK. Yeah. Um, and and we'll, we got to talk about his death later on because this that's another one of these moments. So he's talking about that and they're like, oh, well, that's not true. That's just a rumor that somebody started or something like that. So, you know, it's kind of like a very jokey sort of winking at the audience kind of thing. Like, nope, we're not going to do that brother sister thing here. And then he has this other line like right after that, like, oh, well, you know, what's the big deal about a couple of people getting killed by some guy with a knife? You know, people are over it kind of thing. And it's like there's too much meta commentary about horror like like what I was talking about before with the podcasters I think it works really well there but it keeps doing it right there's shots there's like all of these shots that are directly copied from the original movie and it's like yeah we've seen the original movie we love the original movie and you know one or two little easter eggs is fine I think there's too much of it um the one that really chaps my ass a lot is uh is Laurie standing outside the high school. I was just going to ask you about that. Because that's one of my favorite things in the original movie, that shot of Michael Myers standing out there, and it's so scary. And as soon as they started that classroom scene, I remember even the first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh no, they're not going to do that here, are they? And they do, and the reversal is that it's Laurie. And like... I guess that's clever, but then they do that like 20 more times. I'm not even exaggerating. Probably there's there's 20 to 24, maybe even more than that, maybe three dozen, just sort of little shots that are exactly the same or very close to the original movie. Um, and I just don't think they work. Probably the most egregious is in the third act, and I love the third act. I think the, the final showdown in this movie is fantastic at Laurie's compound. Um, that is really intense. I think that's where this finally really amps up and gets as scary as it needs to be and that's why i'm really pumped
pumped for Halloween Kills because I feel like Halloween Kills is going to be 90 minutes of that and I'm up for it. That sounds amazing. But there's a shot where Lori gets thrown out a window and so Michael Myers is looking at her from the second story from the balcony and she's down on the ground and then we cut to the next POV shot and she's gone. And that is, you know, basically paying tribute to the original movie in a very, very obvious way. And I think there's just too much of that. And I think eventually it starts to feel way too much like a movie that's, uh, you know, there should be neon signs that say this was in Halloween one, this was in Halloween three, whatever. And I just I think it's too much. See, I enjoy all those things about the movie. I don't. I, don't I, I never felt like it was too heavy-handed with that. Like I, I certainly know all the scenes you're talking about. Um, but the difference is there aren't neon signs there. That's the thing. It's like it's <laughs> I, just, they were for me. That's fa- fair enough. Um, that I think overall, that's a pretty mild criticism given all the other you know elements of the movie. I can give you probably my biggest criticism of the movie. Um, I'm not so, I don't want to say sold, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the character of Dr. Sartain in this movie. I don't like him either. Yeah. It's, it's really the one thing that kind of doesn't work for me. I absolutely agree with that. And, and the whole scene where, and it actually is really scary when he puts the mask on and there's the shot of him looking up over the hood of the car and all that. But, um, yeah, we're kind of in this story. They want us to believe that um, he is so obsessed with wanting to know what it feels like to be pure evil or something. Um, and that that whole sequence for me, where he puts the mask on and everything, doesn't really. I, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that. But again, I'm all I, I accept it because the the payoff is we get a super awesome kill with. Again, Michael just dispensing of like the char- like 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 the characters that suck in this movie. He just kills in awesome ways. So it's like it's I'm fine with it. And then I think you were gonna if either one of you guys can take this one. The kill of of Oscar in this is there's a few shots in that leading up to his actual death that I think are awesome. With Michael just like standing in the backyard and uh, not saying it, you know the the kind of stocky Michael that that we're used to. Well, it it it's a neat setup there. Yeah, let's actually talk about that scene in a little bit of detail because I do like the way that's staged. I don't think it it again. It's another one of those that I'm I'm expecting it to lead somewhere and it doesn't quite lead there. I mean, he gets killed obviously, but uh, he's in a backyard and there's like motion sensor lights, and so it's brilliantly lit up when something is moving. And Michael Myers is kind of far away from him, so you know a lot of like wide shots of Michael Myers and he's you know because he's kind of a wisecracking character he's like talking to Michael Myers like oh hey man what's going on like he he doesn't get what's happening at all and thinks it's just some dude walking around on Halloween in a creepy mask which you know I guess is a thing that you might think it's he's also very drunk so that probably has something to do with it but yeah so Michael keeps kind of disappearing into shadow and then the lights come on again and he's a little bit closer like that was kind of cool I mean I think that's a well designed sequence I just don't think it really goes anywhere particularly interesting but I do like the setup with those motion lights and uh, and with him just kind of like drunkenly rambling and Michael Myers just kind of like you said like stalking him even though he's right there yeah and, and he's a character that like you don't really want to see die you know but he does I kind of wanted to see and, him die I thought he was a little really? He was a little forward with uh, with Allison there. I think he 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 overstepped his bounds. 
And once so, he did so, that, I was like, he's going to die right now. Yeah, I mean, I I I hear you, but I think that's a little harsh of a penalty for you. Know, <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, even because her boyfriend throws her phone in pudding. And then he's just like, I didn't, um, I, it's not, it's not what you think you saw. And I'm like, uh, you definitely just kissed a chick right in front of me. I definitely I, saw that. I am correct. And then that, you don't see him again for the rest of the movie. It. Yes. Okay. That, that's what I was just going to ask because you'd think that character is definitely uh, setting mm-hmm. himself up for some terrible stuff to happen to him later. He'll, he'll be back in kills because I saw him in the trailer. I know. I saw him in the trailer. And, and, and again, I'm, I, I wish I never saw it, but, uh. Uh, just and 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 uh, the father, like, dude, he gets dispensed of in such a brutal way. Yeah, that was and, sad. And I like that. I like that though. I like how, like, I don't want to see him die. Obviously, not just because I like his character, but because of how devastating that's going to be to their family. But I give this movie credit for having that coldness to it. You know, it's like, no, like Michael's gonna fucking kill you, dude. You know what I mean? Like. That is the thing that I think this does very well that the original does, right? Because I, I remember talking about, we did two episodes on it you know, a couple of years ago at this point, and one of the things that makes that original movie so scary is that a lot of these characters are just very, very innocent people. Like, Laurie and her friends are just like your high school friends, you know? They're they're innocent. They, you know, maybe mess around and totally. smoke a little weed every once in a while and drink a few beers <laughs> and have sex and do things that every kid does, but they're not terrible people. Like, they all seem like they're good friends and they're good people and they have lives ahead of them and Michael Myers doesn't give a fuck about any of that and he just dispatches all of them so yeah as much as I didn't want to see Toby Huss die particularly because I knew there was going to be sequels and I really wanted to see him come back it's a very Stephen King thing to do right like he'll kill off these really nice innocent characters because hey these are very harsh stories and very harsh worlds that we're talking about and if only the shitty people get killed then it's a lot less scary that way I have to say about back to the characters, I really, once again, really enjoyed how I actually cared when a couple of them died. Like, it was sad. But I really liked Allison's friends in this one. Now, going back to your comparison about her being kind of like Lori in the original movie, um, I kind of didn't really care for Lori's friends in the original Halloween. I found them kind of your annoying, typical uh, valley girl kind of a thing but I liked her friends in this, well, and Alice they're like, sort of bimbos yeah and yeah. I really liked Vicky and I really liked Oscar and you know I but yeah. the two girls and don't get me wrong perfectly fitting for the original movie and I, that I, absolutely it's my favorite horror movie of all time but you know they were the typical valley girl like oh I can't wait to smoke a little weed and go out and drink and have <laughs> sex with my boyfriend in the backseat of the car you know yeah I like them. I don't know why. I don't know. They just uh, they they felt to me very realistic. They felt like kids. You know, they felt like people yeah. I know, and they felt like like the stupid choices they made and the stupid things they did felt just genuine. And I, I don't know. I, I did feel bad when all of them died, but yeah, there are some pretty. Uh, Vicky is great. You know, you you kind of think she is going to be a bimbo, and then she's got some great lines in there. Like you can tell she's just a a nice like like when she comes back into the bedroom and she says to um what is it uh, Julian? She says to yeah. Julian, "You actually." are my favorite kid that I like, yeah, like she's talking shit that. to him earlier and you think you know she is going to be a terrible human being she's having her boyfriend and even Julian over. adores her too I mean when he comes running down the stairs and yeah, she's like I'll sweet. go up I'll protect yep. you and then he's like no send Dave like <laughs> I really liked that yeah that was great too yeah so we definitely like her I like Dave uh you know brings that pumpkin yep. over with the hearts cut out for I mean clearly he's just there to get laid but you know he's your he's... typical harmless stoner That's, yeah, yeah he's you know he's got a little 
little bit of game and he seems like a decent guy and um of course oh. he gets killed you know another direct homage if you want to call it that to the original movie he gets pinned to the wall uh, michael myers takes a knife and does the exact same thing as he did to the boyfriend but you don't they don't show it though they don't show which is uh, i mean it's great they don't show the actual movie. kill but they do show the yeah. aftermath so the, the 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 one thing he does that's that doesn't make any sense though hmm. is he goes into the garage and he sits on the motorcycle <gasps> and like turns it on and revs it up and everything while, I would have been grounded for the rest of my life if I touched my dad's bike like right, that. Right, but it's, it, it doesn't make any sense because you yeah, think that true. they would use the sound of the motorcycle to camouflage the sounds of her screaming. But instead, mm. while he's on the motorcycle revving it up and they're inside the house, you can't even hear it. Right. Yeah. Like, why, why at one point was she not like, what the hell? Who's on the motorcycle? Yeah. I kind of felt like the motorcycle thing was just like, oh, the first movie has a detached garage with stuff happening in it, so we got to do something like that again. You know, like the, the scene <laughs> the where detached the, garage, yeah, homage. That, that kill in the car. <laughs> um, so they're like, okay, so if somebody goes into a detached garage, you know, Michael Myers is going to be in there. And I kind of did. I, I didn't remember seeing it the second time. I was like, oh, I bet Michael Myers is going to get this guy while he's sitting on a motorcycle like an asshole. And yeah, you don't want to do that to your your girlfriend's dad if you're a high school kid. So. I actually do have one more critique for my side. Um, I'm definitely I, I, I with the whole one yet. So yeah, oh, I don't I, think I have crazy. actually. Well, we both don't like sartain. <laughs> yeah, sartain. That yeah. was it. Was I, it just it didn't need to happen in my world? Uh, it was a very brief scene that I just was okay. That's interesting. They went that way, but wasn't really necessary. Um, and sartain, I just. It just happens so quick. There's no build up to it whatsoever. Like, you know, you think he's the new Loomis and all of this, but no, nope, he's just completely obsessed with Michael, wants to know what it feels like to murder people, uh, and puts his mask on and like wants to study him more. And it's like, there's nothing to study. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the twist is like, I don't know, like he's never set up in a very sympathetic way anyway. So it's like when it turns out he's true. bad, you know, when he does that like heel turn thing, it's like, right. Eh, I guess so. Like, well, Lori really just looks at him like, you must be the new Loomis. Yeah. Or, yeah. But he, he's nothing like Loomis, right? right like, I exactly. think we, we like Loomis. He's got that, you know, the moment where he scares the kids away in the original movie. Like, yes. Loomis is fun. And Loomis is, you know, you'd kind of maybe want him to be your grandpa or something yes. like that. And uh, Dr. Sartain is, you know, I, I just, I don't think there's much character there. So I agree with you on that. Yes. My other one is kind of... A character's disappearing uh, and just disappearing. Like, there's no, oh, maybe this happened or maybe that happened. They're just gone for the rest of the movie. First uh, with uh, Allison's boyfriend. Uh, the last time you see him is at the dance. Nothing more. You just don't see him for the rest of the movie. No well, lead see, up to why. You see him being, like, harassed by the cops or something, right? Like, isn't I don't he, like, recall that. Yeah, like, you could the, be the right. Cops, like, or no, or that's what Oscar was talking about. I don't think we ever actually saw it, but Oscar said something what while they're I walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, the other one was Julian. Like after this yeah. whole thing, they're bringing people out of the house, and I'm, well, where's Julian? Like he just ran away. Like the cops don't have him. He's not sitting off in a blanket somewhere in the back of an ambulance. You know, I just where's where's parents? I just no explanation whatsoever. No Julian. And that, well, that upset me because I liked him a lot, so. <laughs> me too. We see his parents, I think we see them leave earlier oh, in the film. okay. Yeah, I think that's what we They're see like too is him to leaving. They're like to Halloween party. Right, right. Yeah, I mean. Uh, like, we just don't I, I guess... see them and with the cops or the ambulance or Julian at all. There's just no trace of him anymore. And I, I think I only noticed that more than maybe some other people because, you know, I just really liked his character. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I did too. And, and there were some loose ends. And again, if they're both in Halloween Kills, then I guess we kind of know why they say it. But like, we could have seen them later in the movie and that's still... Um, I guess another thing we need to say about this is the original cut was much, much longer. So this runs mm. about uh, 106 minutes. And I believe the original, like the first cut they showed for test screenings, I think it was like two hours and 15 minutes. So my okay. guess would be there was some more material. There was some closure for those characters. And yeah, you know, I, I guess the only way to defend that and I, I agree with you I mean I, I'm defending it just to play devil's advocate here but I think the film after those those kill sequences and after everything happens in that house that Julian is in um, this really really becomes Allison's movie right like it's not about her boyfriend it's about her and her family and this really right. you know everybody else is dead at that point and it's about the joining we, together of forces like yeah, the yeah, mother for, the grandmother and then granddaughter for sure. And then we get this amazing third act, like this climax where Michael Myers shows up at, at Laurie Strode's compound and Allison makes her way there, which uh, I don't know how she finds her way in the woods, but good for her. I guess she's got some real survival instincts of her own. But yeah, it kind of it becomes their movie so much at that point that there's just no room and no time for anything else. And I feel like that's probably the first thing you cut, you know, if you've got a two hour, 15 minute edit of this and it, it ends really abruptly, too. You know, they... Um, they defeat Michael Myers, or so they think, and uh, <laughs> I guess because there's two more sequels to come that uh, he's not dead, which he's never dead, um, right. but it kind of looks that way, and then the movie just ends, and then uh, fade to, to black. Yep. Uh, I would love to see the extended cut of this. God, that would be awesome if mm -hmm. somehow it could happen. I mean, I'm a guy who's always of the mind of like... Well, you read I, the novelization as well of this film. I did read the novelization. Uh, did you really? Yeah. It's yeah. it's very good. It is I didn't even know they did those anymore. I used to love those. Um, it is page by page, scene by scene, exactly like the book. Like the dialogue, every scene. There's I, I, I'm I'm struggling to I'm really having a hard time thinking if there's even anything different. <laughs> yeah, you told uh, me it was kind of like reading the script. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, but you know, a, a, a lot of my favorite movies are are two plus hours and the, the way I've always looked at it is well if you like what you're watching who cares how long it is you know like and I get that for you know commercial purposes and things like that movies have to be trimmed down and and that's really tough for filmmakers to have to do uh, but like that's a question I have right like 2018 was a huge smash where the heck is the version why haven't they released the uh the director's cut of this I mean, my guess for that would be like, I think the pacing in this movie is excellent, very much so like the original um, and, and Halloween, too. Like I, this made me really appreciate Rick Rosenthal's Halloween, too. It's not a great movie, but it's got some great sequences in it. And it's cool the way it continues the story. I hate that Laurie Strode is kind of like comatose for way too much of it. She's kind of in a hospital room by herself. But those two movies, uh, Chris, you were saying this when we talked about that last year, about how they very nicely make just like one complete story together and I think both of them are paced really really nice you know the um, the build up and then the sort of rising action and then the climax like everything comes it, it hits exactly when it needs to and my guess with Halloween 2018 was like they were kind of just figuring that out with the first cut you know and they wanted to make sure that this did have that like really quick pacing and that people weren't ever going to be like sitting there in the theater thinking why am I with this character right now when I should be with Laurie Strode when I should be with Michael Myers and 
And mm. that's a very tough thing to do. It's almost like a subliminal subconscious thing. And, you know, I, I, I always I have to give editors credit to um, to just sort of really find the story and find the core. And a lot of movies don't do it. You know, a lot of movies are too long or their their pacing is just off. It's slack or it just doesn't feel like things are building in a good way. And I think in terms of, um, you know, the individual scenes, I don't think build really well in this. But, uh, you know, as far as like getting from point A to point B and, and the progression of the movie itself, I mean, this movie moves. Uh, like one of the notes I made about it was it's almost two hours long and, and this just flew by for me. Like I couldn't believe it was almost over when it was almost over because it just does. It has that really, really great sense of pace. And I do think we are are always seeing what we need to be seeing and we're with the people that we need to be with at every point in this movie. And you can't say that about a lot of things. And, you know, unless you're the shining, I don't know that horror necessarily works in the particularly a slasher film. You know, this is a it's a slasher film. It's a really slick, really big budget slasher film. But at the end of the day, you know, this is uh, the lineage of this is 90 and, and less minute low budget exploitation movies. So I think it has to feel a little bit like that. And that's one of the ways in that it does is, is that the pacing is just like lightning fast and everything really does work really well next to everything else that's there. So I assume they just really trim the fat and uh, and what that might have been, like we were just saying, is, you know, scenes of these characters were like, whatever happened to them? Well, I either way, I still want to see the, direct, the director's cut, but no, that's probably exactly why. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing the deleted. Like, that's the thing. We don't have like deleted scenes anymore. Whatever happened to that? I loved that. There, there are some on the Blu-ray. Are there? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, but uh, yeah, so here we are, ten days away from the release of uh, the new one, which I heard is also going to be streaming on Peacock. I don't even know what that is, uh, but I guess I should. Yeah, it's the um, NBC streaming service. Well, before we get to that, because I have a, a specific question about that for both of you, but um, I took off the day for work from work. Twenty eighteen, I did. I, did. <laughs> I took <laughs> off the whole day from work. <laughs> nice. That's a true fan. Yes. Yeah, like I was saying, I mean, I'm excited for it because I think this movie ends so well and I like what this movie is trying to do like in an overall sense so much. Like I think there's a lot of things that don't work, but I'm interested to like see where this story goes from there and how they can actually pick up from that great climax. I mean, we never we didn't talk enough, I don't think, about the third act of this, uh, the showdown, the um, the bunker underneath the kitchen and all of that stuff. That's all great. I need one of those tables in my house. Oh, I was just saying, when we redo the island in your house, I want one that rotates and that opens into a basement. The coolest thing, yeah. Um, all that's great. <laughs> you know, we get to see Lori is like all her artillery. Um, there's some really, I think, some. This of is a tactical shotgun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love her Winchester, by the way. Oh man, that's such what a, a beauty. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. And, and like, and I love the. Um, some of the most suspenseful scenes in the movie, I think, are when she's just going through her house trying to find Michael. Like, there's that scene with the mannequins that uh, kind of always gets me. Yes. Um, Although, terrible idea, right? Like, why would you put those all over your that house? That is a very... Ter- <laughs> yes. It's a very terrible idea. Um, but it, it's a good scare that we get out of that. Yeah, and she's got some traps rigged in there that are quite impressive and we get to see them all like she literally had that house rigged to be able to accomplish like trapping someone in the basement and then lighting the house or in any room of the house like when she cleared a room she shuts the doors 
Those yeah. iron rods come piercing through the wood, and it's like, this is intense. <laughs> she spent 40 years just fortifying this compound out in the woods. And, and again, it's, yeah. it shows what her mindset is, and it shows what Michael Myers has really done to her. And yes, he didn't kill her, but he destroyed her. I mean, he's he's taken her mind and just like focused it on nothing but this and and you know she's as good as dead at that point right I, I don't her know. mind her mind is her like psyche has definitely been destroyed on a you know normal level I would say after that kind of trauma she's been through but also I just love her uh, this is he won't win this time if he comes back he's not it's not going to happen to me again yeah and she's so, waiting for I it love I mean, that I, attitude. I love, right uh, that that line of dialogue that I was talking about earlier like I prayed every night for him to come back because I just want this to end and maybe then I can move on right because like the worst part about that all that is the uncertainty so she's just prepping and prepping and prepping and and he's not showing up and it's like eventually it's like all right let's just get this thing the fuck over with right right exactly but yeah, that that sequence is amazing. I mean, it's it becomes almost like an action movie in the last twenty minutes, and and definitely, I'm usually not with that. Like, I like my horror to stay horror, particularly in the climax of the movie. But it's just it's so well set up here, and just the the weaponry and the moment with Karen where she kind of stands her ground and shoots Michael Myers, and she's like, "Gotcha, I love that." It's one I mean, of my favorite scenes. Stand I up and cheer moment. So all of that stuff is great, and uh, I don't know, there's this shot where like they they trap him in the bunker underneath the kitchen island, and the fire is coming out. So they they've rigged so she's got like natural gas all over the house, and there's just like flames everywhere. And he looks up at them. It's this great high angle shot. They're looking down from the kitchen. Michael Myers is looking up at them from the stairs, and he kind of knows that he's beaten a little bit, and he almost looks a little sad. And the way he looks confused to me yeah he's like yeah. how did you get how, how am i here <laughs> i saw a little bit of like sadness in his eyes there mm-hmm. and i thought what a great moment um and then eventually he just kind of becomes michael myers again because he is he's the boogeyman but yeah that's a great shot and this weird little moment of like you almost feel bad for him like he's just like a a mouse in a mouse trap and he's caught and you know you're so into it at that point that you're not thinking oh in a couple of years we'll see halloween kills so we'll see how he gets out of this mess but um in that moment you really do feel like all right this is really over and uh, and he knows it as well as we do and it's just a great shot he's like center frame like i said it's a high angle and it's just it's perfect i mean it's one of the the best sort of visual things in the movie you and almost it, want to hear him say well played <laughs> yeah. i know he doesn't speak but something along those lines well, like great. you can feel him yeah. thinking that you know you can definitely exactly. feel him thinking that uh my final thoughts are i think that which circle right back to where I started the the thing that I enjoy most about this is the approach they took by just saying look let's take all these other Halloween movies and flush them down the toilet not that I don't appreciate and and like the other Halloween movies I get it you know and everyone's rankers are different and that's and I respect whatever your your ranker is um but I read an article I I don't remember where I read it or who the publisher was but it was really good. And what they were saying was how many other um, horror franchises would benefit from taking this same approach? You know, like don't do the reboot where you're trying to remake the original, like all these franchises, right? Like your Hellraiser franchises, uh, franchise Friday, the 13th, um, 
The Exorcist, even. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of a lot of these franchises where, like, the original movie was really good, and then from there it just got worse and worse to the point of everything's direct to TV and... You must be referring to the Amityville Horror <laughs> franchise of Nick, 20 different movies. Do you know how many Amityville movies there are? Well, because Amityville's like not trademarked, right? So like you can call almost anything an Amityville movie, so there must be like hundreds of them. There's over 25, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt but, you, but, but I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, so, yeah for sure. Um, I just think it would be really cool. Like I would love to see, you know, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that recognizes solely and only the events of the first one and, and it's, you know, remade with the same kind of production value and made by people that care care as much about it as like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride uh and Jason Blum care about the original. So uh I just think that'd be an interesting thing. Like I'm surprised that more uh franchises haven't taken that approach. Yeah, I mean it's like so many of those franchises too. Like, so they do a reboot and it's like, we're not just going to remake the first movie. We're going to remake the first three and then we'll start off uh, somewhere new. And like, like remember the Friday the 13th remake kind of did that. I was just thinking that one. Like, I was just thinking about that. You know, and I don't, and I, I actually don't mind that movie, but it, yeah, it doesn't, it's not as good as this movie in my opinion. No, not even close. I mean, I, I, I think this is one of the best, and I have my problems with this movie. I do think it could be a lot better in a lot of ways, but I mean, there is, like it's it's faithful in ways that I think something like this should be and it doesn't demean Carpenter's original in any way and I, I don't know like I think maybe being respectful or going in a completely different direction you know like what Rob Zombie did hate it or love it it was an original idea and uh, and maybe that's a way to go as well and they're they're just always like you know the antithesis of that is the fog remake which is like we're just gonna make a shittier version of the John Carpenter fog and uh, look how poorly that turned out <laughs> yeah that's uh, that was the good. checklist oh they did that gotta do that yeah, that, yep. and and that's no way to to remake something. Like, just watch the original. All right, so I I think we've said our piece about 2018. So here's the question that I have for both of you: What is like? What do you want out of Halloween Kills? Like, what is your dream version of this movie that we're gonna see in uh, about a week? Go ahead. Are you okay? Uh, well, just in the title, I want to see all the kills. <laughs> I want to see how creative they get with it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a fan of gore or anything along those lines, but I mean, the more brutal, the better, the, you know, just on the edge of your seat kind of stuff. I want to get new characters. I want to see old characters and I want to see how much they progress. Um, especially the trio, um, Lori herself and her daughter and her daughter. So I'd love to see where their characters go. I feel like we're going to see kind of what we saw of Lori in the original we're gonna see her become you know more powerful as a character herself like a little more fearless a little more driven to well end it singularly focused much like Michael yeah. Myers himself so uh, it exactly. is gonna be quite a showdown you know like exactly. he's dead set on murdering everybody and she's dead set on murdering him and right you know, <laughs> it's uh so I just want to see all the kills. force and an immov immovable object it's gonna be that kind of thing Right. That's that is exactly what I want from this. Fair enough. Yeah, I want like unrestrained, no holds barred, like relentless Michael 
I want the, the the things I've heard about like the high body count and stuff like that. Bring it on, you know. Like I I think being that this is part of a trilogy, let's do it that way, right? Like have have the first one be the sequel to the original, establish the new characters, get everything set up. Let part two be him just like this menacing, unstoppable force throughout most of the movie, and then in the third one. I don't know. Get get more into the mythology or the or the history of it. Then, uh, th- I'm looking for like the most action packed Halloween movie here. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. I do want to see like a, a higher body count, which I think we're gonna get. Um, and 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 you know, this sort of like I want to see just relentless action. You know, because you don't need a lot of setup. You've already done the setup, so that's yes. out of the way. So it's it's taken care of. I was kind of thinking about other trilogies, right? Because once this movie, like I think they had the idea to make this three movies very early on and then the first one was extremely successful so they got the green light like way back i mean like almost right away uh we were talking about having two more movies and they were going to be made back to back and if not for covid we would have seen them both by now i think but you know <laughs> if not for covid yeah, ends, you could start a ends lot of sentences be, that way <laughs> i think ends would be coming out right now yeah because well, they had be like 21 and 22 or dude, sorry they, they, 20, 20 and 21 was going to be the, the release dates you're so right about that. I remember, like, while the first one was still in theaters, they had, like, IMDb pages for kills and ends already. I was mm-hmm. like, what? Yep. Well, the whole year that we had, uh, extra year that we had to wait just made it even worse, the yeah. desire to see this film. Yeah, and, and just the hype. I mean, uh, everything, we've talked about mm-hmm. it so many times in the show, but everybody's saying this is going to be the most brutal and the bloodiest and the scariest Halloween movie ever, which, you know. Well, John Carpenter himself said something along those lines. Yeah. I forget the exact quote, but I, that got me really excited to hear it out of his mouth. Okay. Sure. And, and hype is hype. You know, of course they're going to say that. Nobody's going to be like, eh, it's mediocre. It's fine. You'll probably <laughs> like it. But, I mean, it's going to be marked. Marginally better than Halloween 4. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the return of Michael Myers? And, and a lot better than 5, which isn't saying much at all. Um, but I was thinking about other trilogies, right? And like, is this going to be the Dark Knight of this new franchise where Ooh. it's going to introduce some element the, the way that did with... I love Batman Begins, uh, but it's a conventional origin story. And then you got this other movie that's as much about the villain as it is about the hero. And so it kind of takes stuff. It really deepens the themes and kind of draws out the emotional content of it. And I mean, that's this real epic after the first one was, you know, a pretty standard superhero story. Or the other one I was thinking about is uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where it's mm. nothing like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's kind of one location. It really amped up the gore like they invented the PG-13 rating because of the the gruesomeness in that movie. So it might like like Temple of Doom is kind of the um like the weird stepbrother of uh, of Raiders of the Light. and I Dude. really really like Temple of Doom. So That's why it's my favorite. Yeah, like maybe it's that, you know, maybe Halloween Kills is like we're just going to go bug fuck in this and like you thought that head stomp scene in the original was pretty amazing. Well, wait till you see what we've got up our sleeve here because, you know, it really could do that. And then the other thing I was thinking is maybe that single location thing I, I haven't watched any of the trailers so i don't know where we're going in halloween kills but like again rick rosenthal's halloween too mostly set in a hospital and i loved seeing michael myers in that setting because you know it's not really going to be halloween night anymore uh or you know halloween is basically over so we're not going to get a lot of that atmosphere and, and i don't think you get a lot of it in 2018 you know one of the things i love in the original is it really does feel like halloween and there's a lot of you know just the sort of the the jack-o'-lantern 
lanterns and the trick-or-treating and the the ambiance of the season and they they recreated that well in california and i don't really see it as much in 2018 like they tried it's it's not completely missing but i don't know it just never really feels like halloween and in halloween kills it doesn't have to anymore right so you know what's the new location going to be what is going to be sort of the setting where michael myers is going to unleash this uh wave of mayhem that we've just been talking about and i don't know i i'm very excited for it either way and I hope it's just balls to the wall, everything. And then who knows what the third entry in this franchise is going to be. Like, how do you keep it going? I really, this is the last thing I say, I promise, but I just thought of this. I really, and this probably won't happen, but I really wish and hope that John Carpenter makes a cameo in one of these movies. Um, I, I was listening to someone else's review on this a couple of days ago, and they brought up such a funny point, but that also would have been really cool. Like, at the end of 2018, once the house is on fire and they're all running from it, and you know, and they, they run up to the truck and they're like, Help us, help us, dude. How cool would it be <laughs> if John Carpenter was behind the wheel in the truck, you know, and he's just like smoking a cigarette, and he just like blows yes. all this like smoke out the window, and it's just like you see his face for like freaking one second and then it just goes away like that i i would love to see something like i've that even said to you film. before that how how awesome would it be if just when ends comes rolling around and like he takes off his mask and it's been john carpenter the whole time <laughs> from the get-go oh, yes, like yes. i'm like that would just be the ultimate i wouldn't even care how cheesy that would be i that would just be amazing oh man or maybe it's a meta thing you know maybe it's uh yeah, the maybe. new nightmare it's west craven's new nightmare where the creator yep. of this franchise is the one like still making the mayhem happen i, I hope they don't do that but uh, <laughs> john yeah. carpenter's a way to go <laughs> yeah john he, got, he really movie, beefed like... up which is oh no um, dude Oh my God! Just like with Robert <laughs> Shea in New Nightmare, except it's Jason Blum and uh, John Carpenter, and he's like, "I started having dreams again, Lori." <laughs> oh, or, or it's Jason yeah. Blum. I think he's a pretty big guy, so uh, that'd be an interesting ending. Blum was you all along. <laughs> now I don't. I mean. Seeing John Carpenter at the end of this movie, like it winks at the audience way too much, I think, already, like way too much for me. And so that would have been like the ultimate, like that almost would have felt like a fuck you to me. But if they're able to integrate him in some way, yeah, I, I want to see him as like an extra, like a background extra in some crowd shot. And almost we, like uh, Stan we, Lee in any of his, you know, any of the Marvel movies, you know, like when he had his little, <laughs> his little cameos. Yeah. And like the first that couple times, cool. you're like, oh, cool, it's Stan Lee. And then like the 30th time, you're like, oh, there's. Stay, like you're just waiting for him to show up but uh yeah like yeah. there's probably a creative way to get carpenter involved here and i don't know exactly what it is it's it's halloween still so maybe he's uh in, in costume or something and we can debate about it like the walking dead had all these famous people playing zombies on the show and you didn't even recognize them and then like weeks later you'd be like oh this this person was in the walking dead last week and you missed it so i hope it's something more like that uh yeah i mean that that would be fine with me i would just it, it would just be just that little nugget I would appreciate. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Uh, we're uh, finally, after all this time, we'll get to see exactly what Halloween Kills is all about. And then I think they're still on, on track for next year for uh, 2022 to finish out this trilogy. And I don't know, I guess it's probably going to be the last we see of Michael Myers for a while. Mm -hmm. Maybe it needs to be the last we see of Michael Myers for a while. Possibly, but uh, hey, keep it coming. It's it's uh, I I don't it's it's like anything else, Nick. You know the deal. If if all three of these are successful, there there will be more. Um, 
But yeah, there's been some pretty big gaps in there. I mean, it was nine years between Rob Zombie's Halloween two and 2018. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see like, uh, you can't keep Michael Myers down. We've all learned that. So <laughs> like someday my daughter will have, she's a, a baby now. And by the time she's old enough to go see an R rated movie, there'll be a whole new Halloween franchise and, and daddy gets to show her what Michael Myers is, is all about. So that'll be fun, but she's going to have a good appreciation for the originals. I hope. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what this film actually is. Alex, thank you for joining us once again on the show. We've gone pretty long and pretty late tonight. So thank you for hanging with us. Of course. Thank you for having me again. And uh, we will definitely be talking to you again because we're going to be having all of our guest hosts back and ranking Carpenter movies uh, from worst to best the same way Red Letter Media just did. And uh, I'm, I'm working diligently on my list now. I still have to see the ward, but it's all starting to take shape for me. So um, we're looking forward Ooh, to having you back. Nice for pun. That. Oh, 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 taking shape. <laughs> Is there a documentary about Halloween called Taking Shape? Uh, probably. I know there's a book called Taking Shape. That's what it was. There's a, a book about the yeah. franchise. So, yeah. I, I Totally unintentional, but, you know, it's getting late. So the dad jokes are going to come fast and furious now. All right. Well, um, <laughs> we are very interested in your thoughts about this franchise or anything else in the Carpenter universe. Thank you again, all of our listeners, for sticking with us all this time. We've been doing this show for a while now. And although we're coming close to the end of the Carpenter filmography, we're still right in the thick of October. And um, we've got a lot to talk about in the weeks and months ahead. So uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can reach us by email at precinct13podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at 13precinct, facebook.com slash 13precinct, and our website where you can download all of our episodes and find subscription links to the show is precinct13.simplecast.com. As always, we would really appreciate a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And with that, we will be back in two weeks to talk the long-awaited Halloween Kills. 